0: Matthew 15:10 through 20 New International Version Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Thank you for reading the passage. Again,
1: that was Matthew 15. 10 through 20 in the NIV version of the Bible. And on this Sunday, January 24th, um, my sermon is entitled Inside Out. And we're continuing in our short series called Connecting Six Feet Apart, where we talk about um, God's heart for connecting with people and how we can connect with God and other people in these times, in this season um, of Uh, social distancing, of being in a pandemic, of longing to uh, be community and longing to um, be closer to God, Um, we have an opportunity here to live out Christ's call to us to be intimate people, connectional people, relational people, that we would be an authentic and real community where people are honest with themselves and honest with other people, honest with God, and can come as we are, in order to be uh, relational and to connect with our neighbors, our friends, um, other people, um, not in fake ways or by faking the funk, but, you know, coming to be uh, because God loves us, because we have that common ground. And so um, connecting, connecting. But let me pray to get us started. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love for us that you sent your son Jesus into the world because something was wrong something was amiss that sin had put an obstacle uh between people and you And people with one another and you came down to say where is the love? Uh, And to bring your love reconnect your love with us and to show us how deeply you cared about your people and and to meet the the brokenheartedness in the world, the brokenness in the world, and the longing for love uh, that you saw. So thank you for the gift of your son. And thank you that now as a church, we are called to continue to be in the world, loving, connecting, um, and being a light of hope um, for those around us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. It was happening. She was breaking up with me. The girl I dated in college. We had just had a huge fight. I was being a jerk, of course, and she was fed up and stood up to me and pushed back. Her last words to me were haunting, even to this day. I feel like you have all these unspoken rules for me, David. That I have to follow and I can never, ever make you happy. I can never be perfect enough, devoted enough. I feel suffocated by your rules. You don't want anyone to love you. Why are you so mad? Why do you have so much rage? Only Jesus can love you the way you want me to love you. And I'm not Jesus. And that's why I'm breaking up with you as I've reflected on these Holy Spirit-inspired words spoken many, many years ago um, by an old ex-girlfriend. And don't worry, I'm happily married to Janice, and Janice knows about all my old dating relationships, so everything's cool in the home. Uh, But these words spoken many, many years ago, I've realized how far I've come from being the 21-year-old who deep down inside had a bad case of self-loathing. In me was a small little boy who believed he was unlovable and was extremely insecure, which led me to, uh, in a Donkey Kong-like fashion, for those of you 80s Atari lovers, uh, Donkey Kong was a game where the, do- the, the, the uh, ape threw barrels at you and you're supposed to jump over the barrels in order to get to him. Uh, But in Donkey Kong-like fashion, I would throw hostile hurdles and obstacles at people who were trying to be my friend, who were trying to be close to me. In fact, who were the closest to me, those who were pursuing me, in order to prove that indeed no one loved me, right? If I'm a jerk, if I make it hard for people to care about me and love me by pushing them away, and they say, fine, I'm done with you then it proves my point, right? It proves my hypothesis, my thesis, that indeed I'm unlovable. See, that person couldn't love me. See, she left me. See, I'm unlovable. But little than I know, looking back that God had an intense plan, a loving plan of healing, of transformation, to do precise heart surgery on me over the next five years a lot of mentorship many hours of counseling yes counseling and then being involved in full-time ministry um, that wasn't always full of successes but had many failures and a lot of many many hours of loneliness of loneliness And yet in the midst of that, the gentle voice of Jesus speaking to me, loving me, being the singular and supreme voice in my life. I was seeking Jesus hard because I had nothing left. Reconnect with me, he seemed to be saying. Remember your first love. Jesus seemed to be speaking to me every day about how he loved me and how he was my first love and that I need to return to my first love. When we hit our passage here, when we look at our passage, uh, going to the beginning of chapter 15, we learn the initial cause of the conflict. Um, And the impetus for the conflict conflict was this, that a complaint by the Pharisees and uh, the religious teachers uh, arose. And they were watching Jesus and his disciples and the way they were interacting, the way they were um, ministering. And they were not happy. They were actually griping because the disciples were not washing their hands. And you and I are probably thinking in these days, well, it's good to wash your hands, right? They're, they're right. Especially in COVID-19 times, you should wash your hands and sing ABC, the ABCs 20 seconds for 20 seconds. We tell our children, wash your hands when you come back. And before you eat, because there's so many germs, right? But let's be clear, the Pharisees were not griping for the reasons of hygiene, for hygienic reasons. But for religious, they were attacking Jesus and his disciples on religious um, ritual, religious grounds. Jesus responds to them by bringing up uh, something that Mark calls Corbin. So Corbin um, meant offering, and it was in the, in the Jewish temple tradition it was giving resources, money, offerings to the church, and it was put in the uh, church temple treasury and called Corbin. And so in the law or in the rule, rule book that had developed develop uh, over time, um, you did not have to give, or what the Pharisees were doing and the religious leaders were doing were not giving to their parents by saying, Hey, this money I've set aside for Corbin. I've set aside for offering to the church. So I can't give to you. And so Jesus is calling them out using this specific case to point to the heart of the matter. That in the name of following religious tradition and principles, that they were actually disobeying one of God's primary commands to the people, which is honor. Your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. That they're hiding behind the law of Corbin or the rule of Corbin in order to get away from being generous and looking after their parents. And so Jesus is calling hypocrisy on this and saying, so you're worried about my disciple washing their hands when you're disobeying the command of loving father and mother. And basically Jesus' main argument, Jesus' main point is that you've established the letter of the law over and against the spirit of the law. The spirit of scriptures and my father's word is love and connection and being human and compassionate and just and merciful with one another but the system of rules the system of religious tradition the system of cultural uh, cultural traditions have created obstacles between you and God and obstacles between uh, you and other people and quite frankly as religious leaders put in charge over the people uh, you've put obstacles between people and God uh, by being hypocritical in your leadership. Wash your hands. washing hands. They just, they're attacking Jesus on religious grounds um, because his disciples were not following ritual cleansing traditions. After all, the disciples in their travels out there, you know, in daily life, they could have come into contact with Gentiles which would defile a person. They could have come and interacted with other defiled people like the sick, the diseased, and even the dead. So if you come into contact with these dirty people, you need to wash your hands before you you eat or else you will defile yourselves because you have touched defilement. And again, this has nothing to do with hygiene and everything to do with religious tradition. The Pharisees and the scribes uh, are like legal experts of the law and the prophets. We've also heard of the Sadducees, right? The Sadducees were believed in only uh, the teachings of Moses. Uh, But the the Pharisees and the scribes uh, believe in the whole of the Old Testament. And the scribes were like lawyers. They were experts of um, the scripture and were in charge of interpreting the scripture and the application of the scripture and many scribes were pharisees um, but the scribes emerged uh, during post-exilic times And remember when um, the people of israel were in exile they were conquered by other empires and then they came out of it and one of the pieces of coming out of exile was how are we gonna restore the identity of Israel? How are we gonna restore being the people of God again? And so there was an emphasis on, on the scriptures. And if you remember Ezra, he was a scribe. He, he interpreted law um, and read the, the scriptures to the people. But the scribes emerged during this time. And a lot of manuscript, historical manuscripts have tons of handwritten notes in the margins so you have the word of god in the scribes and the manuscripts and then in the margins all of these like generations of scribes interpreting commenting writing notes and this is how the tradition of the interpretation of the law and prophets came about so much so that the scripture can be this thick but what the scribes and the, the religious tradition that emerged from the interpretation of the scribes were this thick. And people began to hold the scribes up in honor. So much so that even you know the most popular scribes, their words were said to be more beautiful than even the word of God, right? Um, and people sat at the feet of rabbis, and they were revered and honored. And while the initial intention uh, post-exile was good, restore the people's knowledge of God, you know, restore the people's knowledge of God's word and how to live God's law in their daily lives, the product over hundreds and hundreds of years became thousands of pages and pages upon pages of written interpretations and traditions that became the new law for the people and these rules were embedded in the cultural ethnic and religious identity of the people of israel the rules really no one could follow them right no one could be so perfect there was so much they were suffocating they were hurdles and obstacles to test people's fidelity to say what is clean and unclean to say what is pure and unpure to say what is to determine what is unrighteous and what is righteous what is defiled and not defiled who could attain perfection besides maybe the most devout and studied religious teacher impossible impossible and Jesus was sent into the world into first century Palestine into in the midst of this temple system to ask the world this question where is the love you guys have missed the heart of the matter you guys have missed the love I don't see the love. And the meanwhile, while you religious leaders are enforcing all of these things, the people are hungry, they are like sheep. If you remember two weeks ago, they are like sheep without a shepherd, wandering, thirsting in the wilderness, hungry for spiritual food, hungry for the word of God and the love of God and their lives and they're not getting it from you. Jesus' point is that they've overdone it. Do you really think that external things are what defile a person? Do you really think that what you touch and then you eat what you eat makes you unclean? Unclean, dirty hands, unclean animals, even unclean people. And as an aside, point, uh, as an aside isn't saying someone is unclean and defiled just because of their ethnicity or what ethnicity they are not as a Gentile, isn't that denying their very nature of being children of God? God's good creation? It's like calling people illegal because of what papers they don't have. Everybody is children of God. You don't call people unclean or people illegal. That's just an aside. Jesus is saying that evil comes from inside, not from externals. External things in of themselves do not make a person dirty or impure. Do not defile a person. And I think the inverse is also true. Goodness, righteousness come from within by the grace and love of God in us. It's not what we do, it's not what we say, it's not what we wear or put on um, that makes us righteous and good. It's not external things that make us righteous and good, but only Jesus in us can make us good. Amen. And when I think about, we may be saying, oh, it's easy for us to be like, oh, Jesus ripped on the Pharisees. They were hypocrites. Don't be legalistic. Don't be hypocritical. Those Pharisees, right? Right. But the point of scripture is not to be like, ha, Pharisees, scapegoats. You know, there were some very good Pharisees, or at least seeking Pharisees. Take Nicodemus, for instance. But the point of all of this is, once again, to look inward at ourselves. How are we hypocritical? How are we legalistic? How do we use our faith, our faith traditions, right? Our church culture, our church customs um, in order to keep from connecting with God or in ways that keep people from connecting with us and connecting with God and actually are obstacles for us connecting in more intimate ways with our God. I think about denominations, right? A lot of times denominationalism is good. It creates a structure of accountability for credentialed pastors, for leaders. It creates organization and a sense of connection among churches. In one sense denominations are good structurally, but they can also be negative in the sense that. Um, there are uh, doctrines, or there are traditions, there are rules that, um, maybe unintended, create obstacles for people, for people uh, to truly connect with God. And I think that's why uh, many young adults, the, the young generation, um, have moved away from denominationalism. Like, why all the rules? Why do we have to do this or believe that? Why is there so much conflict? Aren't we all Christians? And so some of the the things that we nitpick about baptism, you know, marriage, this or that, you know, to, to some people, it's like, man, I'm done with the politics. I'm done with the externals. Why do I need to wash my hands when it's all about my heart? You know, in my time working with a lot of young adults, millennials, Gen Yers. um, And they, in the past, they've been in and out of Renew, in and out of the church, in and out of their relationship with Jesus. Um, I've asked them, you know, when are you going to come back? Or, you know, what's going on with you? And one of the common responses, maybe 60% of the time, it's, You know, right now it's hard. I'm not really living out my faith. You know, I'm doing some shady things. So when I get it all together, then I'll come back to church. When I'm doing good in my life, then I'll come back to church. When I'm ready to be faithful or read my Bible or not do a certain activity anymore, then I'll come to church. And my response to them is, man, That's messed up, really. And I'm sorry that this is the way that you see it. It shouldn't be this way. The opposite should actually be true. When you're not at your best, when you're in a shady situation, when you feel far from God, when things aren't going right in your life, or you're not doing good things, that is the time that the church and community should surround you, that you should be in community and in the church. That's where God can meet you in His grace and mercy and love you and restore you and renew you and give you new life. You don't have to be perfect in order to follow Jesus or be loved by God. God, in the words of Bridget Jones, Loves you just the way you are. Do you believe this, church? Because we've got a messed up theology. We think that we have to clean up. That we have to scrub ourselves. Clean our shoes. Wear the best clothes. In order to come before God. In order to be among God's community. Instead of seeing... Us as sinners and saints, all of us as the church are sinners, imperfect, dirty, defiled, unclean. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit, the saving grace of Jesus Christ that comes from within us, that covers us and cleanses us. The love of God covers, the grace of God covers a multitude of sins. You don't have to be perfect to be in the presence of God. You don't have to be perfect in order to be in God's community of people in the church. Jesus is saying that evil comes from the inside. Evil comes from the inside. And yeah, I mentioned denominations Uh, And the notion of cultural Christianity. Growing up, right, as a kid in the 80s, born in 1975, you know, I grew up in my childhood, much of my childhood was spent in the South, in the Bible Belt, Texas, Georgia, where it seemed like everyone was Christian. Like Christian, if you lived in the South, you were Christian. There's a cultural Christianity. And being in the Southern Baptist, going up Southern Baptist, there's a lot of rules of righteousness. You know, what it means to be a Christian, what Christians do, but mostly what Christians do not do. Christians don't listen to rock music. Christians, no nope, don't drink. Christians don't dance. You don't play drums in the church. You don't cuss. I think that's still a, you know, a good one. <laughs> At least for kids. No cussing. No smoking. You go to church every Sunday. You know John 3.16 by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And why do I mem- why do I know the King James Version? I don't even use King James Version. But we all memorized it in the King James Version, that whosoever shall, right? That's cultural Christianity. What else? No, John three sixteen by heart. are those. I mean, back in the nineties, it was wear the bracelets that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? And on our bookshelves we would have the Left Behind book series and you know and the Left Behind video series with Kurt Cameron starring Kurt Cameron He's a Christian Don't watch movies about sorcery or magic right Lord of the Rings don't watch Harry Potter <laughs> Those are some big things. But is that biblical, right? Is that what Jesus is about? No, it's cultural. It's cultural Christianity. It's the oral and written tradition and customs that have been implemented based within a cultural context to say this is what it means to be a Christian. But we've elevated those traditions and rules above everything else above the word of god and the supremacy of christ to the point that those things define faith more so than what's actually said in the bible growing up as a kid in the 80s it was impressed upon me that i should always vote when i grow up and can vote Republican because Republicans were the Christian <laughs> were the Christian party. Right? That was just what I knew, what I knew. It was only till college where I like started to think for myself, like, no party is the Christian party. Right? Where did we get that? Where do we get that? Amen. It's not what comes from the outside which makes us unclean. But what comes from the inside, from the heart? God is not interested in whatever external things you're doing, saying, putting on, wearing, touching, eating. He's interested in your heart. And what he's asking us in the name of Jesus is, give me your heart. Cain, Abel, bring me your offering bring me your heart bring me your hearts we we want to be a church that reflects this in order to have the fuego we like to say the fire and that passion we have to bring our hearts before the altar before the throne and with one another in community in authenticity don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. Stop being fake. Come as you are and who you are. And all the gifts and all the brokenness, all the frustrations, bring it. Bring it here to this place. Bring it here among God's people so we can pray and worship together and be healed together, be broken together, receive together. You know, I mentioned that I had, I've had um, multiple years or hours of, of counseling, you know, and in the Christian church, a lot of times, uh, especially in um, ethnic um, churches, there's a stigma against mental health, uh, against getting counseling. That something's wrong. You should just be able to pray. Pray yourself free. You know. Um, But I discovered that counseling was so good for me. Right? And that it wasn't anti-Christian. That it was actually a tool that God and the Holy Spirit used to bring about things that I needed to work through to put language. Entitled to things that I was struggling for. And it was very helpful. It, it actually opened my eyes to a deeper self-awareness. And that's what God wants. It's about the inside. He heals us from the inside out. We have faith from the inside out. We are renewed from the inside out. And God works from the inside out. And in getting counseling, I was able to work on my sheesh. On my issues from the inside out. And quite frankly, one of the things that's helped me the most is actually um, being prescribed medication. Uh, Anti-anxiety. I still, to this day, take anti-anxiety and depression medication. And I know there's a stigma against that. But God has used this to heal me to raise my baseline so that I I can have the awareness and the functionality um, to approach my day um, balanced and with healing. God is about healing from the inside out. What defines us as disciples and followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus Christ is not external things, but how we're bringing our hearts and our souls before the throne of God and vulnerability. Immediately following our passage is the passage on the faith of the Canaanite woman. And it's interesting that the Pharisees and the religious teachers who are quintessentially insiders inside the Jewish faith are set into into, uh, juxtaposition with this Canaanite woman who is not Jewish, who is Gentile, is Canaanite. And Jesus throws obstacles at her. Oh, you're not, salvation comes from the Jews. You're not uh, a Gent. or you're not Jewish. But she presses in, she continues. She begs, she pleads, she comes humbly before Jesus asking for healing, asking for Jesus to heal her daughter. And finally, Jesus uplifts her and says, never have I seen faith like this in Israel, right? Because it was her heart that he saw, her humility, right? Her poverty of spirit. Jesus, help. And this, her faith is contrasted with the faith of the Pharisees. And a time is gonna come, Jesus, this is foreshadowing a time, right? When it's this, the people who worship in spirit and truth are God's people, not the people who are, speak this language or of this ethnic background or follow these rules and laws. And when I look, when I thought about contextually, how does this scripture meet us? And in these days and times, on the news, in the midst of all of the politics in America, one thing I've seen is that cultural or nationalistic religion um, is almost always connected to race. It's not just about legalism and over religiosity but this religiosity often is used to justify racism so where one ethnicity is on the inside and considered righteous this way of doing faith this way of doing church this way of being if you're a christian you vote this way if you're a christian you believe this about personal rights and guns and this or this. And in our nation, a lot of times Christianity and the church has been used to justify racism and an idolatry to nation. I was quite taken aback and surprised even after, you know, the attack on the Capitol, which was terrible. Such violence should never happen. And I condemn it. But post, post the attack, all of the politicians and the media pundits, you know, would talk about the sacredness of the Capitol, the sacred, and we talk about the, constitu- they talk about the Constitution, and the, the Constitution, the sacredness of the Constitution. And it's because they defiled the sacred, hallowed grounds of the Capitol that people finally, you know, took attention or now we need to do something about this when it's been happening. That's what the protests this summer are about. That's what people of color have been protesting and crying and screaming about for years and years and years. But it takes an attack on the hallowed sacred church. I think Nancy Pelosi even mentioned the Capitol as like a temple. I think this is problematic because it, it points to the fact that we've elevated our nation above and beyond the, God's kingdom, the supremacy of Christ, right? Or another way to put it is we've fallen into the trap of putting ourself, our country in as God's chosen people, as Israel itself, that we can do no wrong, that we are the greatest, that God is behind us, which has created a blind uh, blind spot um, to our shortcomings, to, to how we have failed, how we aren't living biblically, how we aren't living Um, as good humans (laughs) as God's people and I think I think a reformation is coming to our country and into the church that we need to begin to shed um, these things these cultural traditions and these this Christian nationalism or um, the hypocrisy of externals and exchange that for of renewed hearts in worship of Jesus, who is our true king. Amen. We need to have a a posture of humility that we're not great, but you know what? We can come to the table of God as we are, and God will lift us up. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is moving through your word and even through my mouth in all of my imperfections and fallibilities, that nonetheless, you are doing the work Um, in those who are listening, those who are out there, uh, and the work in our church, our community, um, to transform us, restore us, renew us, make us your people, not because of what nation we belong to, but your people because you've chosen us And we've said yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.